Welcome to the Free to Be More podcast by the Enoch Pratt Free Library. I'm your host, Megan McCorkle. This podcast series features conversations with leaders and innovators having a positive impact in our city. Let's get started. Your journey starts here. New census numbers show Baltimore's population is shrinking. Annie Milley is the executive director of Live Baltimore, a nonprofit working to recruit and retain Baltimore residents. In this episode of the Free to Be More podcast, we'll discuss the benefits and challenges facing Baltimore and the opportunities ahead for our city. Annie Milley, thank you so much for joining us. I am so glad to be here. Thank you. Annie, for people who are not familiar with Live Baltimore, just tell us what is the mission of your organization? Live Baltimore is a very unique organization. We are a nonprofit residential marketing organization, and our mission is to recruit and retain Baltimore City residents. Baltimore is one of the only cities in the United States that has a residential marketing organization. Pretty much every city in the world has a destination marketing organization that is marketing that destination to tourists, but almost nowhere has a residential marketing organization that is marketing that city or place to residents. And that's what we do here. Why is it so important in Baltimore to have an organization like that? Well, Live Baltimore was founded in 1997 by a group of passionate residents who were concerned about the city's ongoing population loss. We have, unfortunately, as a city, been losing population since the 1950 census. Mm-hmm. And I could talk about that for literal hours, but I will <laughs> say that um, In the 70s and the 90s, those were the two decades that saw the most population loss from the city. And um, it was, again, in the 90s that people came together and they said, okay, we have organizations that are marketing Baltimore as a great place to start a business, as a great place to visit. We have no one who is out there actively working to tell the story of Baltimore as a great place to live. And so they founded Live Baltimore. And here we are more than 25 years later. I'm continuing to tell that story. Mm-hmm. Just a little bit of background about you. You're a Baltimore region native. So tell me a little bit about growing up in this area and then eventually coming back to Baltimore. Yeah, well, I am a Baltimore girl. My family has been in the city and county for at least four generations. And I unfortunately was one of the unlucky ones to be raised in Baltimore County. So I sadly cannot claim a Baltimore City High School. Um, I went to Franklin High School for all of you Baltimore County folks. So I can't claim a Baltimore City High School. I can, however, claim that my Sweet 16 birthday party was at the Paper Moon Diner. There you go. um, Which I think gives me some level of credibility. So um, Baltimore City has always been just very important to my family. I'm named after a woman named Annie Todd, who was my great-great-aunt. She raised my grandmother part-time in the city um, after a tragedy in her family. And I just grew up hearing about how the city was a place of opportunity. And I have been spending as much time as possible uh, in the city limits since before I could drive. I've been hitching rides up here. So Mm -hmm. um, it's in my heart. Yes, and you're raising your own family right here in the city. I am. I have an eight-year-old daughter who uh, we live in a neighborhood called Arcadia Mm -hmm. in Northeast Baltimore, and it's a great place to raise 
a family and we have Heron Run Park right across the street. We have uh, Lake Montebello right across the park. And my daughter actually learned to ride her bike on the Harford Road Bridge while it mm-hmm. was closed. Construction was finished, but it hadn't opened yet. So that's her uh, Northeast Baltimore claim to fame. <laughs> you touched on it a little bit about um, recent census data shows that uh, Baltimore's population is shrinking. I know that there is some intricacies to that number. Uh, We're seeing about a 6% drop since 2010. Can you explain a little bit more about that number and what kind of impact it has on the city when those census numbers drop? Well, if you care about Baltimore City, if you care about its economy, its residents, if you work here, if you visit here, if you live here, you should care about the city's population. Growing the city's population is one of the most important things, if not the most important thing that we can do for our economy. And that is because residents are the largest contributors to our city's general fund. That means they pay for everything, all of the services that we all share, that we all rely on. Residents also determine the amount of funding that we receive from the federal government. So big dollar items like transportation projects, all of those things that come from the federal government, the number of residents that we have in the city determines that. And residents also determine our city's representation within the state. So how many representatives we have in Annapolis, how many people there are speaking on our residents' behalf and advocating for our city's needs. So population is very important, but I would say on a smaller, more relatable scale, population growth is important because we all want great neighbors. Uh And if we want great neighbors, um, that means that we need to have people who are excited to move here. And again, that's what Live Baltimore is working to do. The census numbers, uh, it's interesting there are some trends that are kind of impacting our population, such as single people moving here versus families. Um, What have you found with these census numbers as they've been coming out? Yeah, and I will warn you, I can really geek out on some census (laughs) numbers, so I don't know if it's that kind of podcast or not, but um, it's complicated. We are a city that is in transition. We have been a shrinking city we are a city that is has begun to show signs of growth. I think that growth is admittedly fragile and something that we really need to keep our eye on. I will say the sort of quickest overview I can give mm-hmm. is that from 1950 to 1970, the city was losing population but gaining households. Mm-hmm. Um, that was because the birth rate was dropping starting in the 50s, and that was a national trend. And so most cities saw population loss from 1950 to 1970 for that reason. Then in the 70s, we started to see, unfortunately, not only our population decline, but also the number of households in the city decline. And that was when you began to see the emergence of vacant housing. Since that time, there have been multiple decades that share that unfortunate trend of population loss and household loss, that is a bad thing. That means that people are moving out and not being replaced. Mm -hmm. But more recently from 2010 to 2020, we started to see the number of households growing again, even as the population declined. Mm -hmm. So we're in the midst of, again, it's a national trend. It's a global trend of 
people not getting married or putting off getting married until later in life, fewer people having children or people putting off having children until later in life. And what that means is that there are a lot more one-person or two-person households to go around. And so as you see just that sort of demographic change, you can see more people choosing to move into the city, but the population's still declining. And again, there's a lot of math in there and it's wonky. But what we want to see, we want to see more households choosing Baltimore. And that's really what our focus is. So whether you're a single person moving into a detached house or a family of four moving into an apartment, it's all good. We want you here. And that's what we're we're really focused on at Live Baltimore. Mm-hmm. I would think one of the big focuses really is attracting more of those single people, knowing that people are staying single longer. How does that sort of change your marketing strategy when you're trying to attract that certain demographic to move into the city? Well, we have really good data on who the audience for housing in Baltimore is. Mm -hmm. And it is predominantly those younger people, those single people, or those couples without children. So there's definitely ways that we can work to appeal to that demographic. Um, The other demographic that we see really coming to the forefront in our data, um, single Black women are the predominant buyers of housing in the city. So when we think about home buyers, all the single ladies are out there doing it. And (laughs) we focus a lot on what they're looking for and what they want to hear about when we are telling them the story of our neighborhoods. So these folks want to hear about affordability. If they're young, they're starting their career. You know, they haven't reached the peak earning potential for their career yet. So they are looking for housing they can afford as a single person with a entry-level salary. Um, mm-hmm. So we are able to tell that story in a really compelling way based on the city's affordability. They want to hear about convenience, and that can mean different things. It can mean convenience to travel, convenience up and down the East Coast, but Increasingly, it really means convenience within a neighborhood, um, walkability to stores and restaurants and all of the amenities that people enjoy. And then, you know, it's also about, is this a place where you can sort of come as you are and be yourself and, you know, really live your identity? And that's something that people want to hear from us as well, that our communities are welcoming in addition to being convenient and beautiful. The Free to Be More podcast is a production of the Enoch Pratt Free Library. Start downloading bestsellers to your device today with your Pratt Library card. Ebooks and e audiobooks are available for checkout, along with streaming TV, music, movies, and more. See what your library card could bring you at prattlibrary.org. Your organization over the past couple of years has been doing a survey about Baltimore homeowners and why they choose to live in Baltimore, what neighborhoods they choose. What are some of the interesting findings that you've gleaned from that survey? Well, one of the most interesting findings is in the data from our most recent survey, which was conducted after the pandemic, compared to the findings from the survey that was completed before the pandemic. And what's interesting about the findings is that very little changed. I think we were expecting to hear that the reason people were choosing Baltimore was much different in after the emergence of remote work and all of the, you know, sort of post-pandemic changes. Actually, people said that they were choosing our neighborhoods for all the same reasons. The only real difference was people, of of course, 
are much more concerned with finding housing that includes a home office. Mm -hmm. There was something like a 38% increase in the number of people who said that that was critically important to them post-pandemic compared to pre-pandemic. But other than that, we did not see a lot of shifts in folks' decision-making. We heard that they want to be close to work. Many people work in Baltimore City, and that is one of the primary reasons that they choose to live in Baltimore City. Uh, Many people have friends and family in Baltimore, and so they are choosing houses here so they can be close to those folks. Mm -hmm. Um, And again, we heard a lot about affordability and how important that was. When you talk about affordability, I think it's interesting, and I don't know what the numbers sort of give, but it's interesting, and so many companies across the country have now gone remote or partially remote. Is there a market of people that maybe were working out of like Washington, D.C. and then could live in Baltimore because they could work remote some of the time? Or are we not seeing that in the numbers? You know, that's always a question that comes up about Mm -hmm. what is our opportunity to bring residents from D.C. And back in the early 2000s, one of the things that Live Baltimore still is really known for is a D.C. campaign that we did that included not only advertising in traditional mediums, but also a series of events that took place in D.C. And we really did. We attracted a lot of residents. I still meet people all over the place that say, I came here because of those D.C. happy hours. Mm -hmm. Um, So there is definitely a market in D.C. And we do anecdotally meet a lot of people who have moved here and say they take the train. And it came up in our survey as well that people only need to commute into D.C. a couple days a week. And so, you know, they are excited to be able to do that now as opposed to having to go into the office every single day. Mm -hmm. In terms of the numbers, when you look at migration data, D.C. doesn't really pop out in like a meaningful way. But that's not to say that we don't care about D.C. and that we aren't focused on D.C. as an area of opportunity. We're advertising in D.C. with our new ad campaign. So that's definitely a place that we're targeting folks. And I'll just share it quickly. Looking at the data from last month, when you think about affordability, like what does that mean? Mm -hmm. And in Baltimore City, the median home purchase price last month was $217,000. Mm-hmm. In order to afford that home, a family needs to earn a household income of about $72,000. Mm-hmm. Um, in Washington, D.C. proper, last month, the median home price was $635,000. Mm-hmm. And so a wow. family to, to purchase that median priced home would need to earn $212,000. Mm-hmm. That is like a dramatic difference, not only in housing prices, but in what that really translates to for a family. Mm -hmm. And so again, when you're thinking about like Baltimore as a livable place, I always say what's great about Baltimore is not only can you afford to live in Baltimore, but you can afford to live in Baltimore. Like Mm -hmm. you can have a house and go out to dinner. You can have a house and a life. So it's really meaningful. Yes, I've lived in both cities, D.C. and Baltimore, and it is tremendous to see how much the prices of homes have skyrocketed in D.C. and the comparison of affordability here. I own my house here. I've owned it for the past five years. And it's just such a like sigh of relief to be able to own your own home and afford it and go out to dinner. It's, it's very funny. But um, one of the other trends you're seeing is a lot of people looking for rentals right now rather than buying. What kind of impact does that have for us? 
Well, the rental market is really strong in our market research that was completed a couple of years back. Um, yeah, the predominant housing consumer here, they're going to be looking for rental housing. That's not a bad thing. We have rental housing available. It's about 60%, just to give you the numbers, it's about 60% renters in the market and 40% buyers in the market. So rental housing is is really important to us. There's a lot of new construction rental, which is great because we know from research that about 20% of the folks shopping for a rental are exclusively seeking out a new rental. They're looking for the newest property. Mm -hmm. So in order to compete in that rental market, we do need to have new rental housing. And I think that, you know, a lot of folks, they see all of the new apartments being constructed around the harbor or, you know, in Canton and or in downtown. And they say, well, how, where, who are all these people and how can we possibly need all this rental housing? But the data shows that, you know, those buildings are like 90 percent plus leased. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, believe it or not, there is a really strong market for rental. But I forgive people for being at some level of disbelief for that, because I do think it's confusing when you think about the fact that we have so much vacant housing in the city. And then you think, how can we have vacant housing and housing demand at the same time? That seems like a mismatch. But the person who's shopping for a new construction apartment with tons of amenities is not the same person who would be shopping for, you know, a vacant row home that they want to renovate themselves and make their own. It's a different consumer. And we really need to think about every consumer in the market. Mm -hmm. This desire for new construction in the rental market, is that impacting any of the older rental buildings? And how are we seeing the rental numbers that when I think about like some of the newest places like Baltimore Peninsula, are we seeing a huge demand for places like that because they are kind of the newest, hottest thing? Well, the newest and hottest thing is going to attract renters and buyers. There's also new for sale housing coming to Baltimore Peninsula. Hmm. Um, 400 new townhomes are being built at the former lock landing site. And I fully expect those to sell like hotcakes. They're Hmm. right off of 95 waterfront property, new construction townhomes, which is a very popular product. I think they're going to be very, very, very popular. And I think that the rental over there is going to do extremely well also. Hmm. Um, you know, the thing about housing, it's it's so interesting, supply and demand in housing. And everybody will talk about right now how we have a housing shortage. And they'll also talk a lot about concerns over housing affordability. And the reality is that the way to make housing affordable is to add housing. It's, again, that sort of supply and demand. So the more housing that's available the less pressure there's going to be on the market to become more expensive, right? When you add new apartments or for sale housing, what you end up getting is something they call naturally occurring affordable housing. So the newest property then can ask the highest rents or the highest sale prices. And then the you know second to newest property is sort of second to highest and so on and so on. And so it's actually really healthy for a market to have new things coming online. So again, there's enough supply that it sort of alleviates pressure on prices. And so there can be a filtering of affordability throughout the, the larger market. Mm-hmm. Is there a benefit to converting some of these renters into home buyers when it comes to 
funding in Baltimore City, federal funding, the general fund, that type of thing, is that like a desire of Live Baltimore or just numbers, no matter how you choose to live in Baltimore, good for Baltimore? Well, no matter how you choose to live in Baltimore, it's good for Baltimore. Um, Mm -hmm. We make no distinction in terms of the value of a resident. You know, is a resident better if they're a homeowner than a renter? Absolutely not. Renters Mm -hmm. contribute to their communities. Renters are important and renters factor into our population and to all of those benefits that come from population that I mentioned. So they are equally valuable. But that being said, homeownership is definitely an important strategy to retain residents. And it's also an important community development tool. Most of the people who purchase homes in the city, they rented here first, which makes sense. You probably want to try out your neighborhood or a couple neighborhoods as a renter before you commit to purchasing there. And so that's very much what we see. And what we know from our research is that once people purchase homes, they become less transient. So Whereas a renter might move every couple years or every year, once you become a homeowner, you're most likely to stay for five years or more. So as I said, it's an important retention strategy because it can keep people here in their home, loving their home and their neighborhood potentially a little bit longer. And it also creates stability in neighborhoods so that more neighbors have an opportunity to build relationships and engage in community traditions and become a part of the rich fabric of our society here. What are some of the challenges Baltimore faces when attracting new homeowners? I'm thinking of some of these long-term projects that are in the hopper, like infrastructure projects. What are some of the things that could be implemented in Baltimore to make it an even more livable city? Well, You'll definitely hear people talk about what we call the big three. People will bring up barriers to living in Baltimore City, and they will typically say crime, schools, and taxes. Mm -hmm. And so we are very used to responding to um, those big three barriers. We do that by talking about something that we call the big five benefits. So if Mm -hmm. there's these three barriers, what are the benefits that can overcome those? So the first of those is affordability. So despite the property tax rate, the cost of housing is actually lower here than in surrounding counties. The cost to purchase a home is lower. So when you mix that with the property tax rate, you actually have a overall more affordable cost of housing. So that's one way that we can talk about overcoming that barrier. Our schools, we do a lot of work to help Baltimore City residents become familiar with our education system here in the city. It looks very different than the education system in any of our surrounding counties for a variety of reasons. First of all, we have charter schools here. We have the bulk of the charter schools in the state of Maryland are located in Baltimore City, and they all have citywide application process. So that's very different. We also have something called middle school and high school choice. So there are not zoned schools the way that people coming from other areas are used to. So those are benefits of choice if residents understand the process. And so one of the things that we do here is we work to help educate people about those different options and how they can engage in them. Um, and then, you know, I think some of the other challenges like crime, I'm always encouraging people to think about 
population loss as both cause and effect, right? So why are we challenged by some of the urban issues that many cities share? It is because we have been in many ways in an economic depression for decades due to our population loss and because we don't have enough residents to support businesses and support jobs. So it's not so much that all of these challenges are driving people out. It's that these challenges exist because people left. And so as we are able to grow and to welcome more people here, we can see some of those challenges actually going away or being reduced significantly. And so we really like to focus there. The Enoch Pratt Free Library is more vital than ever. Thanks to our customers for setting a 12-year high in circulation in 2023, the highest number of new cardholders in seven years, and a record number of active cardholders. Get your library card today at prattlibrary.org. Sure, we talk about bringing in new jobs. I know Baltimore is up for a federal designation as a tech hub. What kind of impact could that have on people that are moving to Baltimore for jobs like that? Well, that's exciting, isn't it? We're really happy for our friends in the tech world who I know are so excited about that. When employers are thinking about where to locate and to move their businesses to, they're thinking about existing talent, right? So there's sort of this like economic chicken and egg problem where you need businesses to locate in your city in order to create jobs, but those businesses don't want to locate in your city unless there's workers already there to take their jobs. And mm-hmm. so one of the things that has been, I think, a real positive for Baltimore when we think about remote work is a lot of those tech workers, they can work from anywhere. Mm-hmm. And so we have this real opportunity to bring those tech workers here first to live here an affordable price, much less money than they would be spending to live in San Francisco, certainly, or, um, you know, the other tech hubs across the country. So I think this designation, it gives the opportunity for us to maybe attract some of those workers who can work remotely into the area. And then hopefully some of those businesses will follow as we start to see our existing employment numbers sort of in the field raise up. Mm -hmm. I know you've discussed a little bit about the vacant housing issue in Baltimore. It's something that the mayor's office and the Greater Baltimore Committee have been speaking about recently. How could vacant housing be an opportunity in Baltimore? Well, vacant housing is definitely part of the potential to add housing um, that we think about. So in 2020, we conducted this citywide analysis of residential market potential. And we did that with researchers who are nationally renowned for doing this kind of work. And we said to them, when you think about the market for new construction, please don't just consider new construction as ground up construction, you know, dig a foundation, build a new house, but also think about significant renovation of formerly vacant properties. Mm-hmm. Because when you renovate a formerly vacant property in Baltimore that's been, you know, in really terrible condition, you're essentially getting a brand new house. Mm-hmm. And so that factors into what the potential is in the market for people to purchase or rent row homes. And we were really happy when the results of that study came back and we learned, oh, well, thank goodness, the the primary type of housing that people in this market are interested in is they're looking for row houses. So, 
you know, 46% of the potential market for housing is looking for a row house townhouse. And so that's really good news. And as we think about any kind of renovation work that gets done, and we think about that as potentially part of that new construction housing stock that we know there's a demand for, that could be really positive. Yeah, I know the GBC talks about sort of the whole block approach, being able to revitalize a whole neighborhood. Are there any neighborhoods in Baltimore where you've seen that happen and you've seen that level of revitalization that could be kind of used as an example for what developers could do to other neighborhoods in the future? Oh my gosh, there are so many examples of neighborhoods where that's worked. It would be shocking to people, especially who are newer to Baltimore, but Patterson Park, (laughs) which everybody thinks of as like, oh, Patterson Park is one of the, one of the nicest neighborhoods in the city. It's so great. Well, Patterson Park just a few years ago had significant levels of vacant housing. Mm -hmm. Um, There was an organization called Patterson Park CDC that bought up, I mean, hundreds and hundreds of vacant houses in and around Patterson Park, and they did major, major, major renovation. And Patterson Park today has almost no vacancy. Mm -hmm. And that was all very strategically done, very strategically led. We're talking about hundreds of houses that were um, renovated by Patterson Park CDC. So that is, you know, I think um, like a really, really thriving example. Greenmount West, again, like a few years ago, I mean, it, in very recent memory, had almost 70% of the housing was vacant. And mm-hmm. now housing prices are shocking <laughs> to people <laughs> who have been around Baltimore as long as I have, you know? Sure. Um just really, really, really strong pricing and a strong market there. And that I don't think people would have believed, but yet it was this neighborhood like right next to the train station, right? So, mm-hmm. you know, that's an example. I think you could talk about Eager Park around Johns Hopkins Hospital. There's oh, yeah. some absolutely beautiful vacant renovation that's happening um, right there at the Henderson Crossing project across from Henderson Hopkins. You could look at Upton. There's this beautiful project called Upton Gateway where they're doing whole block renovation. So, I mean, I could go on and on. There's all kinds of- Oh, yeah. Thinking about Johnston Square too, which is kind of- Oh, yeah. Of that renaissance right now. Yeah, I mean, I didn't even mention Johnston Square or Oliver. I mean, there's a lot, a lot, a lot of places where there's been great people who have been at it for decades and- Mm -hmm. You know, they're not just getting started. They've really been in the trenches doing this work for a long time. So it it absolutely can work. Mm -hmm. My last question, I ask a lot of people this specifically, what is something that gives you hope for the future of Baltimore as far as growing the population and bringing more people here to our city? Yeah, well, I mean, I think oftentimes when people talk about what's the best thing about Baltimore, what gives them hope, they talk about the people Mm-hmm. And I think I would say that too. But for me, it's not just like, oh, the people are nice or the people are friendly. They are, absolutely. But for me, it's the people that love this city. I have the pleasure of meeting so many passionate Baltimoreans. And I think that there is a real power in civic pride. There is a power in getting people who love Baltimore together. Um, One of my favorite things that Live Baltimore does is we host Baltimore City's birthday party every year. It's something we started doing, gosh, it'll be 10 years this year. So I guess that's insane. Um, (laughs) I've been here a very long time. Um, 
But, you know, we host the city's birthday party and it's just this event where we bring people who love Baltimore together. Mm -hmm. And I cannot express to you the palpable energy in that room with everybody coming together with the same positivity and intention to just love and honor this place. And so when I think about what gives me hope or what makes me excited or gives me, you know, feelings of optimism, it is that there are so many people here who are committed and love it. I mean, just love it in their bones. And I'm sure, you know, lots of cities can claim that, but we really have it here. And it's something that I'm really proud to be a part of. Yeah, the civic pride hits a little bit different here in Baltimore. That's definitely true. It does, doesn't it? I know. It's just, it's so, it, it feels so good, I think, to share it with others. So, yeah, I mean, you know, among the things that Live Baltimore is known for are our I Love City Life bumper stickers. Yes. You know, I mean, the civic pride is real, and we're happy to be a part of sharing it with people. Annie Millie, thank you so much for this conversation. Well, thank you for all these great questions. I enjoyed this so much. Get connected with the Pratt Library. Check out a laptop and a hotspot to take home, just like a book. Teens can borrow technology equipment, musical instruments, and more in the Library of Things. Educational games and toys are available for kids, all with your library card. See what the Pratt has to offer at prattlibrary.org. I'm Megan McCorkle, and you've been listening to the Free to Be More podcast by the Enoch Pratt Free Library. You can follow the Pratt on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. If you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Join me next month for another Free to Be More conversation. Thanks for listening.